This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, Session 204. And the quote of the day is from Winston Churchill, who said, Without tradition, art is a flock of sheep without a shepherd. Without innovation, it is a corpse. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers, music industry professionals, and thought leaders. Inspiration, education, and motivation for drumming. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. Thanks so much for checking it out. Session 204. Wow, it's amazing. There's 203 other ones at uh, drummersresource.com if you want to check them out. If you're new to checking out the podcast, there's a ton of them there. So uh, they're all free. You can listen to them. And the most recent 50 or so are always on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and all that stuff. The rest are at drummersresource.com. While you're there, you can grab a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations. It's 11 creative exercises to use with the book Stick Control that'll help you improve your chops, your speed, your independence, your feel, things like that. You can grab that at drummersresource.com. Com. So the interview today, the one and only Kenny Washington, and he's a man who doesn't really need much of an introduction. I mean, he's Kenny Washington. He's played with a slew of A-list jazz artists and is just a staple in that scene and an amazing player and a great dude. We talk a lot about honoring the tradition of playing, uh, playing musically versus chops, different things like that. So a really interesting interview. He has a ton of insights and a lot of really good recommendations for, for records to listen to or CDs or tapes or, you know, vinyl or however you listen to your music. So, an amazing interview. Super pumped to have him on here. I've been wanting to get him on here for a while. And thanks to Carl Allen for connecting us. So without further ado, let's get into it with the one and only Kenny Washington. Kenny, what's happening? Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Hey, man, it's my pleasure to be here. I want to say quickly thank you to Carl Allen for for connecting us. Uh, I, I appreciate that. I just had him on the podcast, uh, about, I guess it was about a month ago or so. And uh, so hopefully he's listening. He said he's a listener. He's he said he's a listener. So this will be a test to see if he's if he's actually listening. <laughs> well, if he says he's listening, he's listening. No, I know. I'm kidding. So uh, so tell me about you. Just got back from from China. We were talking last night, and uh, you were saying that you had just flown in. You're just sort of getting over some of your some of your jet lag. Oh yeah. So what what were you doing over there? Who were you with? Well, I was playing with Bill Charlotte. With Bill Sharlap's trio, I've been with him for a number of years. And so uh, we went over, well, we played in uh, Tokyo at the um, the uh, Cotton Club. Mm-hmm. And then from there, we went to Beijing to play at the Blue Note, the Beijing Blue Note. So that's the first time I'd ever, I ever went over to, uh, to uh, China. You know, so it was mm-hmm. a different kind mm-hmm. of experience. Yeah, I've never been. I've never been over there. I know that. I know that. Uh, I'm, and I'm speaking just from what I, you know, what I see and what I read. But there's sort of this live. Uh, there's a, there's a live culture of music, especially in Tokyo. That I mean, everybody goes over there to to play, and and it just seems like there's a lot more opportunity in China, Tokyo, and even in Europe than there is over here to play jazz. Well, I don't know. Um... I don't know. Uh, in, in in China, they're they're starting to develop something. You know, the 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 Blue Note in Beijing, from what I understand, has only been open for about uh, I think about 
two two or three months. Uh, we like I think we were like the fifth or sixth band that's already played there. I know Kenny Garrett had played there, and there was a couple of other people that played there as well. See, so you know, uh, people are coming out. Uh, they're trying to they're trying to hip people to jazz over there. I mean. You know, I mean, people, it's a happening. I mean, yeah, you know, a lot of times people don't really necessarily know about the music. Right. In fact, at club, they have to tell them sometimes, you know, to be quiet because they're <laughs> talking, you know, I mean, they're talking just like this, like they're the social team, man. I mean, you know, so it's, it, it's not necessary. There's a few people that know what's happening, you know, but. You know, it's just it's for the most part, people are coming out there. I mean, you're watching people, and you know they're uh, they're drinking and they're talking. I mean, you know, it, it's all the same, man. It's it's you know, right? It's not like it used to be like maybe uh, like when Art Blakey and Horace Silver first went over to uh, to uh, Japan. You know, it's not that way. It's you know, it's right not like what it was. Right, right, right. Yeah, like I said, I've never I've never been over there. I guess you know I'm I'm deducing that just from the the things that I see and the things that I I read and things like that. Um, before we continue forward, I want to go back a little bit and just build a little bit of context for the listeners who who maybe have heard your name but no, don't know too much about you, or uh, you know just to to get everybody familiar with with some of the stuff that you did and sort of where you grew up and and how you got into this drumming thing. So so where did it all start for you? Well, uh, I was born in Brooklyn. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn, 1958, May 29th, 1958. And uh, my, my, my father, actually both my parents were into the music. Uh, and around my house, there was nothing but uh, jazz and classical music. See, so from Brooklyn, we, meet, we moved to the Bronx for a year where my sister was born. And then from there... We moved to Staten Island, mm. which, uh, you know, is one of the five boroughs. They sometimes call it the forgotten borough, you know, because, right. you know, they don't get much out there. It's a little bit better now, but still it's culturally behind what the other uh, four boroughs were into, you know. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I grew up there. I mean, my father did did quite a bit to... to uh, to, you know, promote, you know, the arts when he was alive. I mean, he, he had Dizzy. He actually uh, hired Dizzy Gillespie to come out, and uh, he produced a concert for Dizzy. Really? Uh, yeah. He also, um, he was also really one of the people that pushed for more jazz mobiles coming out to Staten Island. Because, I mean, of course, Brooklyn and the Bronx and Queens, you know, you know, and of course Manhattan, they were getting all the music, man, and like Staten Island would get one, if that. And so my father said, you know, I mean, so he pushed for that. I mean, I remember Hank Mobley coming out to on a jazz mobile with Wilbur Ware, the great bassist. Uh, you know, my you know, I remember my father taking me to see that. So he was, you know, he was really into the music. He um you know, he didn't really play any instruments, but 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 uh, you know, he had a hell of a record collection, and that's how I got into uh, music and into record collecting as well through him. And mm -hmm. So you know, he would listen to records all the time, 
you know, and I would be right next to him listening. And that's how I got into it. So it's almost like even though he wasn't a musician, since he was listening to all this music, you were already getting an early education in music, even though you weren't physically playing. Right. But, but yeah, he but he had all the hip. He had all the hip records. And and when I heard uh, when I heard Ahmad Jamal's uh, uh, at the Pershing record, but not for me. And I heard Vernel Fournier playing playing brushes, I said, man, I don't know how to do this. How, how do you do this? And that's, you know, that's really one of the, one of the records that, you know, knocked me out and made me decide that I wanted to uh, play music. You know, along with the, he, he had all the hip stuff, man. I mean, he had all the hip records. I mean, he, he didn't have as many records as like say I have now, but he had the best stuff of all periods, whether it be Dixieland, Swing, Bebop, Hard Bop, whatever it is, you know, like, he didn't have all the Charlie Parker records, but he had the best ones. Right. right. See, so, and he had, he had so much stuff that I was, it was like going to the library. I could, you know, I might read some book on jazz and, 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 and uh, I might ask him about a certain artist and he had this stuff catalog. You know, mm-hmm. and so in the summertime, you know, when I had to go to school, you know, I might be reading some book on jazz and I would ask him about a certain person and he would say, oh, yeah, we'll just look in the card file. There's a few records of his in there. And he would go into work. And, you know, so I was able to go through his records and find, find a lot of stuff, man. I, I love that it's like oh yeah just go look in the card file and pull it yeah 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 he had he had that that's many, amazing he had that many records man J- you know jazz records as well as classical music as well yeah and that's how I really got into playing I mean I listened to so I listened to so many records I mean the thing about it is but he he had so many but he, you know I had a few that I liked. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I listened to them over and over and over again to the point like where I could sing all the solos, you know, um, you know whether not just the drum solos but the horn solos as well. Right. And and I realized, man. I mean, later on, I mean that would help me on learning form, how to play a musical solo, all that stuff from you know from from listening from listening to the records. Right. And, you know, they say if you can sing it, you can play it. So That's right. the fact that you're, it sort of goes back to what I was saying earlier, the fact that you're listening to all this stuff and studying it and you're totally immersed in this stuff, even if you weren't physically playing in the beginning, you're still mentally, you're, you're, you're playing. Right. And there's studies out there that have shown that people can practice things in their mind and never actually physically do it and, and they show improvement. Sure, sure. I mean, yeah, it's all, it, you know, it's all, it's all seeping into the dome, mm-hmm. the, the, my head, you know, yep. the brain, the dome piece, I call. I tell my students, use your dome piece, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but but so that's what, so, you know, that's what happened to me. See, and the thing about it, like, I get this all the time teaching in schools and everything. You know, I mean, like up at Juilliard, it's, it's like a required thing. Like, you have to transcribe solos. Man, I never transcribed any solos. No. I never did that, man. You know, I mean, sometimes they ask, you know, some of the kids ask me, they say, well, you know, well, how did you learn this? And, it, you know, I learned it because I liked it. That's the 
first thing. See, now in school, you are you are you 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 have to you are required to you know write one solo and you know write the solo out and everything. But see, I never did it like that. I did, you know, I liked it. I liked the way the music made me feel. Mm-hmm. And I knew nothing about transcription. I just liked the music. I mean, you know, I had to pick up the needle and just play that record over and over again. Just like, just like, you know, there, there would be there's some kid who learns, like, I don't know, like maybe one of these maybe one of these rap tunes, you know, because he likes it. He listens to it all the time. It's on the radio, and he knows the thing by heart. I did that with jazz because mm-hmm. I liked it. Right. And, 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 and you know, um, so learning these solos by Max Roach and everything, I would just sit there and, 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 and you know, figure it out, you know, to get the sound. And this is what I tell my students. You got to get the sound. The attitude, man. I mean, and I would try all kinds of stickings, man. I know it would be Philly Joe Jones and Max or whatever, Arthur Taylor, you know, Shadow Wilson, to get that sound. You know, what Mm -hmm. sticking did he use? I would try, you know, sticking six days to Sunday, man, until I found the one that sounded closest to uh, the way uh, it was on the record. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, sure. so so that was so. I mean, you know, so my whole thing about transcriptions, man. I mean, you know, I never wrote anything down, man. I mean, you know, and the way guys are doing it now, they're writing the stuff down. They still can't play. You know, <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, you know, you can write it down. I've been up there places where these guys are doing their juries and they're looking at the music while they're playing, and I'll stand up and I'll walk over to the music stand, you know, and then just. Mysteriously, my foot gets caught in the music stand. Music stand falls. The music falls off the stand. Well, that solo goes completely out the window. They don't know what they're doing, right? Because they're reading it. I mean, you know, and so the thing is, you haven't, you have done, you've done nothing. I can get any dope to write this stuff down, mm-hmm. you know, but but they don't have the feeling. You know those notes on the page. You got to tell a story, right? And that's something they, you know, that uh, they don't necessarily understand. Well, I've always mentioned on the podcast, and I or just in general conversation, that there's the notes on a page, and then there's music. And I think the biggest thing for us as drummers, as you know, just as a whole, and speaking from personal experience that I've had, you know, as a, as a player through my career, is like taking those notes. And bridging that gap to music and sure. and how to actually make that sound musical, make it feel right, make it feel good and not just be sequential, you know, us, these patterns that you're playing. So what's your what's your advice if I came to you and I was like, hey, man, I learned this solo. I got it here and I play it and it sounds like, you know, it's it's boxed into this thing. Well, the thing about it is, first of all, if you can't sing the solo. You're finished. Mm-hmm. If you can't sing that solo, well, then you won't be able to play it. You have to be able to sing it, right, and feel it. You know, uh, with and if you're singing it with the proper note values too, because a lot of people would just sing it staccato, you know, right. eighth note, sixteenth note, quarter note, whatever it is, and not actually sing 
sing legato if it's a if it's a half note or something. That's right. With the right, yeah, with the proper feeling, the right note, you know, the uh, right note values and everything, you know. So, so I tell them, you know, I mean, you got to hear it. You have to understand it. I mean, transcription's a great thing, you know, and it has its it, it has its pluses because when you transcribe stuff, what happens is you're learning how to write for a band. You know, you're learning how to write music out. And 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 that's a that's a good thing too. There's pluses to it. But so what I try to tell them is what I try to tell them is this uh learn the solo by heart. Be able to if it's a drum, well it's a, whether it's a horn solo or a drum solo, learn the solo by heart, you know. Uh, just just play the record over and over again. And as I said, man, you gotta like this stuff. You gotta love it, right? You know, um, that, and that's one of the things I was saying. I never learned these solos because I didn't have anybody to tell me learn this solo. Right. I learned that solo because I liked it. Just I just liked it. And and but but what I tell guys now is to learn the solo. And learn to sing the solo and then try to play what's in your dome. Try to play, try to memorize it and play what you hear of that solo. And if you do it enough, you, you, you'll learn the solo. And then from there, uh, of course, in school, depending upon what school you're going to, you might have to write it down. Well, then that's when you sit down and write it down. And what should happen by that time is you should be able to write down 90 to 95% of that solo. And what, what, what should happen is you should be able, without the CD, you should be able to hear that in your dome. And you should be able to look up in the sky and see those notes go across your, you know, right across your forehead, just like the NBC building in New York, yep. where it has the information yep. what's going on. You should be able to look up, hear that solo, and those notes should go straight across your forehead. You should be able to hear it and then write it down. Now, there might be some spots you want to check with the CD or, or anything to make sure that it's exactly right. But that's finishing touches. Mm -hmm. You should be able to write most of that down by heart. And if you can't, if you can't do that, you haven't done anything. You've wasted your time. Right. You know, you have wasted your right. time. You've done absolutely nothing. I mean, that solo might look great on on paper, man. I mean, yourself on the back, where you put it on Sibelius or whatever that is, and everything is cool, but. If you can't sing, if you can't play it without looking at that music, you're wasting your time. You have done nothing. Right. You're basically just right. copycatting instead of creating music. Right, 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 right. At least that's the way I look at it. You know, and, and, and it seems like all the guys that I knew, you know, all the greats that I, you know, that I was lucky enough to meet and hang out with, they did it the same way. Mm -hmm. You know, it, you know, and they had much, much less than what we have. Now they have the stuff digital, digitally. It's amazing. They have stuff now digitally. You can actually slow it down and it's at the same pitch and everything. And these guys write the stuff down and they still don't get it. 
Right. They still, you know, see, so they'll play it back. And then I said, well, no, that's wrong, man. That's the wrong rhythm. You know, and that's with the digital stuff that slows it down. And they still don't get it because they're not understanding. Mm-hmm. They're not understanding what, you know, what they're hearing. They're not taking enough time. And then, of course, there's all this other stuff that, you know, a lot of times nowadays being in school, in the school system, you know, these these guys have attention spans of a flea, man. I mean, you know, because of stupid cell phones and the things buzzing and click, click, you know, everybody's sexting, texting and all this stuff, you know. <laughs> you know, see, so they never take any time out to really learn anything. You know, it's it's. The sad thing to me, man. I see it every day when I go up to Juilliard to purchase. You know, it's mm-hmm. amazing. Well, I, there's, and, and I agree that there's too many distractions out there, and, and it's hard to, you know, it's hard for even people to concentrate in their practice routine for a half hour without getting on Instagram and taking a picture of it and put it online and doing this and doing that. And do, so, do you think that one there's a a decrease of people playing? orchestrally like I last night I interviewed Steve Gadd and we were talking about about how you know how he plays and he sort of plays compositionally and, and sounds like an orchestra and do you think that that's sort of a lost art now because of the short attention spans that's going on or do you think that maybe just the sound is is sort of evolving and and changing a bit well I think I think first of all with drummers First of all, I think the whole teaching system, I think the whole teaching system, and I'm I'm not saying all teachers are the same, but in the junior high school system, when it starts, or maybe elementary school, well, first of all, thanks to budget cuts, there's less music. You know, there's less music in the schools. Um, But then at the same time, the teachers that they that they have in these schools are not the same as when I was coming up. They're there for a, they are there for a paycheck. Mm-hmm. But and because what I'm seeing by the time these guys get college level is they don't have anything together. They're not taught the basics. They, you know, with still a five stroke roll still sounds like an egg roll. It's amazing, you know. <laughs> They're not taught basic stuff. See, so by the time they get to me, you know, they still can't do anything. You know, I mean, I mean, see, so it starts, you know, it, you know, it's it starts from there. And as far as I'm concerned, in terms of drums, I think out of all the instruments, I think that, uh, and I'm not, I'm not saying I'm saying it is is that. In, in in a way, technically, drums have gone down the drain in terms of the way guys are playing. The, because the technical, be, like how technical these guys are. Yeah, well, 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 I feel the basics, man. I mean, you know, uh, there's a lot of these drummers out here. There's a lot of these drummers out here that I mean, I mean, some of them do have fantastic technique, but then, but then again, there's a lot of them where they just. You know, they're playing single stroke rolls around the drums, man, and that's not enough. Or they play these patterns like where they're playing a snare drum and a bass drum. See, so it sounds like a single stroke roll. You know, you know, there's all these things. But then when you really get down to 
you know, uh, technique, sound, touch, and you find that they don't really understand the snare drum. They never did enough work in terms of their technique. There's certain things they might do one thing, that's because you can play just just because you can go around the drum set grease lightning playing single that singles that that doesn't matter that doesn't right. mean anything you know i mean it's it, it's the touch it's the sound you know i mean they might have seen billy cobham doing that you know on, on you know years ago or he could still do it now actually but then besides all that he's got all the you know all the inside chops he has the sound he has the touch and he has the articulation to play other things besides you know 30 second notes going around the drums you know see so it's 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 much more than that you mm-hmm. know and why do you think that why do you think that that people play like that now is it because uh because not everybody's going through the school system and learning and learning music so they're either watching it on YouTube and and that sort of thing is getting sensationalized or they're you know do you think it's the teachers uh the private teachers are teaching them incorrectly or I think it's depri- I think it's all of the above right but I think it's all of the above. And also, I think that, uh, and I also think that um, they're not listening to, well, they're not listening to all the, all the great drummers. They're not listening to, to, uh, these guys don't know anything, man. Well, and I was going to say, when you were growing up, the, the music that was popular was, you know, was filled with all of these amazing drummers. And yeah. now coming up as a, you know, as someone who's maybe 17, 18, 19, 20 years old, all, most of the music is electronics or it's, you know, it's sequenced or whatever it is. And that's sort of what everyone's basing it on. And that's what they're, that's what they're completely immersed in because that's in pop culture. Do you think that now, do you think that it's harder to find that info? Not harder to find the information, but but harder to be immersed in that environment now than it was, say, for you growing up. Since for you, it was always it was just around because that's what was playing on the radio a lot. Well, for me, I mean, I wanted to play jazz, right? But I was also exposed because when I was coming up, there wasn't a whole lot of jazz around. I mean, you did see, you know, of course, it was in my house. But then again, on TV, on Ed Sullivan, you would see Sonny Payne playing with Count Basie's band, you know, or you or you would see Sam Widjard playing with Duke Ellington's band. You'd see Louis Armstrong. You got a chance to see some of these people. But still, by that time, jazz wasn't like wasn't a popular thing where it was on where it was on TV. I mean, see, so um, you know. I had, I mean, I had all the records at my house, but even, but even the pop records and, you know, Motown and all that stuff, you know, that was great music, man. I mean, you know, I mean, that was great music. I mean, and I, and I remember even, you know, for R&B, you know, you could tell where the record came from just from the sound of the guy's drums. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, whether it was Muscle Shoals or whether it was Detroit, you know, you could hear or New Orleans, you know, you could you could tell, man, before the singer came on, you could just tell by the sound of the record, you know. 
Right. See, so you know, right. you were influenced by you're influenced by what you hear. Mm-hmm. You know, you're influenced mm-hmm. by what you hear, man. I mean, see, so I had a chance to to hear all that, but I had a chance to go through all those, uh, you know, you know, all that, all that great music. But nowadays, they have much more than what I had, right? And no less. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I remember spending lots of money, man, on these records, man. You know, just to, you know, kind of my mother, kind of my mother, out of a couple of dollars. <laughs> I get an advance on my allowance, right? right. So I, I was telling somebody to start the other day in jazz history. I remember counting my mother or getting an advance on my on my allowance, and so I was able to get. She gave me two bucks, and I went down to Woolworths, and Woolworths was what Target is today. Mm-hmm. In oh, 60s. I know Woolworths is. <laughs> Woolworths was the big thing, just like Target is now. It was like a store that had all kinds of stuff, you know. And so they had what they called cut. They had a cutout bin, and what this was is like, you know, the the record would, you know, get older, and see, so there'd be a certain amount of records they couldn't sell, so they would sell it to these stores like Woolworths, the John's Bargain Store, and they would knock the price down. The end of the record of the cover would be cut off or there would be a hole in it and they would sell it for a dollar. So I distinctly remember going down to Woolworths looking through the records. And I remember finding Duke Pearson's record, Sweet Honeybee, with Joe Henderson, uh, 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 I think, uh, I think, uh, James Spalding, yeah, James Spalding was on the record, Freddie Hubbard and Ron Carter. Duke Pearson was playing the piano and Mickey Roker was the drummer. Man, that was a bad record. See, so now that cost me a dollar. So I had one more dollar left. So with the other dollar, you know, um, James Brown's record, Funky Drummer, with, with you know, with, 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 with badass Clyde Stubblefield. Yep. Was on, you know? And I remember that 45 costing me, well, it was part one and part two. You remember the, the 45 would have James Brown's picture on it, you yeah. know. And and uh, part two, man, you know, when you turn the record over, part two, you know, you could see, man, that they were, you know, it was always, to me, always better than part one because, you know, they were warming up and things would happen. And, and uh, you know, and at the end of that record, you know, I mean. You're like, so what I, is it? I can't imagine yeah. hearing that record, like, as it just came out, you know, like. Cause I've heard, you know, like it's been sampled so many times and like even probably, I probably heard that well before I ever even heard the James Brown song, you know what I mean? Whether I knew it or not, but I can't imagine like picking up the record and being like, all right, this came out this week and putting it on the record player and hearing funky drummer. I, I think my head would have exploded. Yeah, it was, it, it was pretty amazing. See, so now I had those two records, the 45s were about 75 cents. So I had a quarter left. And so I, I, I remember buying a bag of Twizzlers, <laughs> strawberry Twizzlers. That was my allowance, man. Right. For, for about two or three weeks, I wasn't getting any more money. But I had those two records. And I played those records over and over again, man. I knew everything about that Duke Pearson record, as well as the James Brown record, you know. Right. See, so, you know, I mean... These guys out here have more 
but they don't listen the same way. See, I had less. See, so you you know you listen to the same thing because you didn't have any more, man. I mean, you know, uh, or, or, or I remember going down and finding that record that had Lawrence Marable, the great drummer. Uh, what's that record? Dexter Gordon's record on on Jazzland called the, Resur the Resurgence of Dexter Gordon when he'd come back to America. Man, and I remember playing that record to death. You know, but they, you know, see, so I had these records, man. I mean, you know, I, nowadays, you know, I'm in school and somebody says, oh, Professor Washington, I have such and such amount of tunes on my iPod or on my phone. I said, great what you have on there. And, and, and then you, you know, you say, they say, well, I have such and such record. I said, oh, yeah. Said, well, uh, who's on the record? Do you? Right. <laughs> they don't know, man, because they don't even have personnel. You know, they're just getting the music. Of we had the record players, man. You know, I mean. That's one thing I mean, I've noticed about guys that I play with who are older than me. They always know, you know, when even when they're telling stories about who they played with years ago, they'll be like, yeah, you know, I went to see this show and this person was playing and this person and this person. And then I got this record and these guys were on it. And I, you know, I and maybe that's a skill, too. But I've noticed that the older generation knows that. A lot more than than people my age do. Absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, well, you had. I mean, you had. You read the covers, the back covers, mm -hmm. especially the James records. You know, you read the liner notes, and you saw these names, and you started putting certain names with certain names. You know, and that's how you learn. Right. Nowadays, I mean, you know, nowadays, you know, you don't get that at all. I mean, I was a disc jockey on the radio for 10 years, man, and they got to the point where they didn't even want you to announce the musicians' names on the record. See, so now no one knows anything. It's amazing. And, I've, I, and I actually grew up at a time where I had, you know, I had vinyl and then I had tapes and CDs and all that stuff. And so I've seen, you know, the, the entire transition versus like I, I feel like I was at a, a unique age where I was I'm old enough to have had all of that stuff like have vinyl and have CDs and all that stuff but young enough to store to still sort of being on like the cutting edge of of technology and everything which is you know I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but I do I do remember speaking of buying vinyl a short story is I remember going and buying a special ed record who's a hip-hop artist and playing that vinyl to death, and coincidentally, Funky Drummer is sampled on that record. <laughs> right, right. And right. just like hearing that, and just listening over and over and over again. But to your point, when you get a record, you know, you you got the like my brother would bring me to the to the music store on Monday nights because they released the new record at midnight because it came, it you know it came out on Tuesday. So I would get the I would get it, and that's all I listened to for a month, two months. It was just like. Because of you know it was twelve bucks or whatever to buy a tape or a record or whatever you know and it was expensive, so, but now you can access all this stuff whenever you want at any time and I think that it devalues. This is my my personal opinion. You may feel differently, but I think that it devalues the product so that it almost makes it disposable. So I can listen to it for five minutes. I up oh, move on to the next. Up oh, move on to the next thing. I don't That's have to right. keep going out and buying. If I had to go out and buy a $12 record every time I wanted to listen to something new, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to listen to this record for a while. And I'm, I'm going on a tangent here, but I, and I apologize, but, and I know that I've listened to records 
that I've bought and I'm like, you know what? I don't really like this record. And then after the 12th time that I've listened to it, I'm like, this may be my favorite record of all time. You know, it grows, it grows on you. And I don't think that that's happening anymore with with music. Right. I think it's sort of just like in one ear and out the other. And it's like, OK, what's next? Yeah. And, 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 and it, in jazz, that's that's terrible. man. You can't do that. You know, in jazz, right. I mean, we any kind of music, but especially jazz, that's that's just not going to work, man. You know, I agree. So, are you from the school that no matter what, you should learn jazz, or if you like jazz and you want to learn jazz, you should, and if you don't, you should go study other things. Well, if I mean, if you're going to be a jazz, if yes, if you're going to be a jazz musician, you got to know jazz. Say you're not. I say mean, I, say I came to you and I, and I love. This isn't me speaking, but but say I came to you and I say, hey, listen, Kenny, I'm a drummer. I love drumming. I want to be a professional drummer. I, that's all I want to do. I don't. I don't want to play jazz. I hate jazz. It doesn't. Or not that I hate it. I don't. It doesn't speak to me. You know. It. I don't. I have no desire to learn it. Uh, it's an old thing, and I want to play hip hop, and I want to play pop, and that's the, the stuff that I want to do. What would you suggest? Would you suggest that I still study jazz? No, I would suggest that he learns to study the drums. To me, it doesn't matter. I can appreciate any drummer who plays the drums well. He mm -hmm. doesn't have to play jazz, so what? But if he plays the drums well, well, my hat goes off to him. See, so if somebody comes up to me, and, and that's happened, you know, I, I don't want to play jazz, I don't really hear this, but I want to play such and such. Great, that's fine. Learn how to play the instrument. Learn the basics. Learn your rudiments. You know, learn how to read. Learn how to get a good touch on the instrument. That works on whether you're playing with, you know, Dolly Parton or, or whoever you decide to play with. To play the drums well. I tell my students that all the time. I don't care if you're playing punk, funk, or skunk, I tell them. <laughs> Learn how to play the drums, man. Yeah. Learn to play the drums well. You mm -hmm. know? And, you know, there's definitely a, uh, you can definitely tell when someone has that touch. And, you know, some, it doesn't matter, like you said, what they're playing. You listen, you can yeah. hear two bars and it's like, oh, man, this guy's got it together. You know. Yeah, I mean, I not. I mean, I I might not like the music, you know. I mean, you know, the guy could be playing in a grunge band, you know. I mean, but I can sit there and look at the drummer, and I can tell well, this guy can really. He's playing the drums. He can play the instrument, mm -hmm. you know. And of course, if now, of course, you know, if I mean, guys playing jazz. I mean, or, 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 or it wouldn't hurt them to listen to jazz. That helps to open up your horizons you know, on things that you can do, uh, even if you're not playing jazz. I mean, you could use, you can use things in, 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 in other styles that come from jazz. I mean, you talk about Steve Gadd. I mean, I mean, you hear that all the time. I mean, especially, you know, back in the days when I was in high school, man, you know, listening to the, all those great records he, he made, you know, he's playing some funk thing. And the next thing you know, you hear him play some, some, some bebop stuff. He's bebop, man. That's the stuff he got from Max. All right. You know, he, and he's, he applies that, mm -hmm. you know, he applies that to, 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 uh, you know, to what he's doing. I mean, because he's got all these different styles 
in his head. He knows it all. And he's, you know, he's, you know, he's merged them, mm-hmm. you know. So, so for a young guy coming up, it won't, it wouldn't hurt him. Right. You start listening, you start thinking about, with listening to jazz, you start thinking about the drums a whole different way in terms of dynamics and everything. You, you get a whole, you get a whole nother thing that's happening rather than, you know, listening to, you know, um, you, you know, all pop drummers. And, and But the best of those style of drummers, they know something about jazz. They not, may not be jazz drummers, but they've gotten something from that. Right. Some more than others. Of course, you know, somebody like a Harvey Mason, you know, or, 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 or Steve Gadd. Or Billy Cobham. I saw Billy Cobham play with uh, Kenny Barron's brother. You know, Kenny Barron, the pianist? Well, mm-hmm. he had a brother named uh, Bill Barron, who was a tenor saxophone player. I didn't know that. Sure. So my father took me to this place that I used to study at in Brooklyn called Muse. And they had a concert, and, and Billy Cobham was the drummer. This is before Mahavishnu, you know, and right. and, and, and 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 Billy Cobham's uh, first record as a leader, you know, and he was playing Spangalang, and 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 you know, even so, those later records you can hear, man. I mean, you, you know, you can hear that, you know, he's adapted some of that stuff into what he, you know, what he does. I mean, sure. tell us by the way he plays the drums, man. You know, he, you know, uh. uh his dynamics, his sound, you know, he's embraced all styles of music, jazz, of course, his touch, you know, he had classical things, same thing with Steve Gatt, all those guys could play, man, they're no joke. I mean, I I look at somebody like, you know, like Harvey or Steve or, or Ndugu, like, I mean, Thriller, like, it's still, it still swings its ass off and it's a pop record. You know? Well, it's 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 a different kind of it's a different kind of thing. It's got its own kind of swing. It's mm-hmm. not it's not it's it, it's not jazz, but 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 you know, it's got a pocket, man. I mean that that I mean that style. It, you know, you got to know how to do that. I mean, you know, it's it's got its own thing, man. The best of it is good. It's very good. It's great. This session is brought to you by my good folks over at DW Drums. And if you haven't already, visit DWDrums.com and check out all the innovative stuff that they have going on over there. And also, if you're in L.A. and they're in the L.A. area, go to Oxnard. It's about 45 minutes north and you can get a free tour of the factory, which is which is cool to see how they hand make all of these drums. And uh, just a great family over there. So you'll get to meet everybody while you're walking around and things. So definitely worth checking out. And you can learn more about all that at DWDrums.com. Dot com. Big shout out to my man Rich Redmond and the release of his new signature stick from Promark. And you can learn all about Rich's new stick at Promark.com. And it has this active grip technology. And what that means is as your hands get hotter, the, the stick actually gets tackier so it doesn't slip out of your hands. So really great invention from, from Promark and super happy about Rich Redmond coming out with this signature stick. And you can learn more about that and the new Mike Portnoy signature stick at Promark. Com. Big news from Sabian, they just released more big and ugly symbols to their line, including an 18-inch AA sick hat, 18-inch hi-hats, amazing, super dry, 28 holes for virtually no airlock at all, plus more big and uglies like the 14 and 16 AA Apollo and the 14-inch XXR Monarch hats. 
Plus, they also have crash-friendly sizes like 18 and 20-inch Apollo hats and XSR Monarch. You can check out all of these at sabine.com forward slash big ugly. And I just can't believe they have an 18-inch hi-hat. I think it's pretty amazing. Anyway, check them out. Sabine.com forward slash big ugly. Now let's get back into it with the one and only Kenny Washington. This skill is developed in the practice room and listening, playing, and things like that. What's your what's your take on practice in terms of, of how you suggest that people practice? Not specific things on what they should practice, but sort of how they should structure their practice routine for the best results. First of all, I tell them practice slow. Because these kids are out here nowadays with cell phones and everything is fast, I seen guys, man, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I see some of my students, they'll run through something, they just hack through it, man. That's what I call it. Hacking away, man. You know, they hack away at a piece. You learn I mean, it at, you learn it at forty beats a minute and then you jump it to ninety and hundred and twenty, and then you're done. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, but it sounds like one of them old movies, like right. the guy's got a machete and he's like He's in the jungles of Brazil or Africa somewhere, and he's got this machete. He's cutting through, you know, uncharted area. <laughs> That's where they're playing these drum pieces, man. They're hacking away at it, man. It sounds terrible. And I tell them, wait a minute, man. Slow it down. You know, slow it down. Or I tell them just to just, just do one bar, one bar, you know, and then run through it. I said, no, man, slow it down. They'll, they'll slow it down. I said, That's not good enough, man. Slow it down. And then they still don't do it. I said, and then I said, okay, man, put the sticks down on the drum. Take a deep breath. And they take a deep breath. I said, okay, now let's do this slow. And they'll play the one bar and they play it correctly. I said, bingo. Mm-hmm. Now we it says, now you're cooking with gas. Now we have liftoff. Right, right. You know, so the whole thing is. Why do we do that? It's because of, you know, everything is fast nowadays. That's what it is. You think? Self- or is it ego? Huh? No, it's not ego. No, some of these some of these guys they haven't gotten to the point yet and have that kind of ego. They don't play that good. They're trying to learn, but they just don't know, man. You know, they get on it. You see these kids, man. The way they're texting, they're texting a mile a minute, man. Everything is fast, man. Their brains are, you know, going a mile a minute. And see, so they're going to practice the same way, or so-called practice the same way. They just run through stuff, and it sounds terrible without paying attention. Details. So you know, a guy always, you know, practicing. For me, you know, I, I try to practice every day. I mean, I'm up, I'm up like early in the morning. Well, actually, you know, like I got that, uh, I got that from Hank Jones. Hank Jones was one of the greatest pianists of all time. He was on literally hundreds and hundreds of records. You know, uh, he was the on-call studio guy in the 50s, along with great bass player by the name of Milt Hinton and the great drummer O.C. Johnson. O.C. Johnson. An unbelievable drummer. So this rhythm section, like I said, Hank Jones was the pianist. Milt Hinton, the judge, was the bassist. O.C. Johnson was the drummer. And oftentimes the guitarist would be Barry Galbraith. These guys made hundreds of records. They were doing two and three and four recording sessions per day. It's insane. And working that night. 
those guys never made a bad record in their life. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. But anyway, so Hank Jones died, unfortunately died a few years ago. But he called me to make a gig with him. And, and he lived upstate New York. He lived he lived up there. He lived up past Cooperstown, you know, where the Baseball Hall of Fame is. He lived up yeah, there. Yeah, I was just there. I guess, I guess near uh, up there, near uh, or up there somewhere where I think Jack DeJanet and some of the guys, guys live. He lived up there at that, at that at that time, and so he had this gig. So he called me and he called great bassist George Moraz. So then, um, you know, it takes a while to get to his house. Man, it's a long way to get up there. Yeah. So the gig was like in the early afternoon. So then Hank says. He said, well, look, why don't you all come up the day before? I have plenty of room here. You can, you know, you can stay at my house that night. You know, my wife will cook dinner. I got I got a big enough house. Everybody has their own room. Then the next morning, you know, we'll eat. And then we'll go and make the dark. So then I said, okay. So we drove up to Hank's house. You know, so we got there and, you know, um, Late afternoon, early evening, his lovely wife cooked dinner and everything. And so then about 10 o'clock, we all hit the hay. So now I always wake up early. I've always, you know, awakened early, earlier mm-hmm. than everybody else. And so I'm up at 6.30. And I'm up 6.30. And the first thing you know, so I said, wow, man, it's like the sun is just coming up, right? And then I hear, you know, he's playing major and minor scales. He's playing, Hank, Hank is at the piano. This is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's in the living room. He's playing like, he would play like, he would play a C major scale and he would play a C and he would hold it for four beats and then play the D, you know. And and so then I went out, you know, I took a shine, went out, you know, and his wife was cooking breakfast. And I said, oh, good morning, Mr. Jones. He's, ah, good morning, Mr. Washington. How are you? How you feeling? I said, I'm fine, man. And so he goes on practice. I said, hey, this is So you do this every day? And he stopped and he looked me dead in the eye. He said, Wash, it's a must. Huh. And so right then, something in my head said, ding dong, ding dong. I said, that's why. Now, at this point, he had to have been, I don't know, he must have been in his 70s then. You know, I said, that's why he still sounds good. Mm-hmm. That's why he still has that touch. That's why he's still playing his ass off. So I said, maybe if you start now, if you make it to his age, you'll still be able to play. You'll still have the sound. And from that point on, every morning, I'm up because I'm already up, man. Mm-hmm. And I mean, and that's my favorite time to be up is early in the morning. So I'm up, I'm up there practicing, man, you know, and practicing slow. That makes the difference, man, to practice slow. And I always tell my students to practice bar by bar. You know, like I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of the book um, Modern Rudimental Swing Solos. You hit that, that book. book. I love it. We actually, 
I cre- I started this thing called the Breakfast Club here, and we get a bunch of guys get together every morning and practice, and we just work mm-hmm. through that whole book. That book is amazing. It's, That's and it's book. hard as hell. Oh yeah. That's the book that Philly Joe Jones, man. I mean, he, he, you know, a lot of things that you hear Philly Joe Jones play, uh, were, I mean, he used it in his own way, but a lot of things were inspired by the, uh, pieces in that book, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so, uh, I practice bar by bar. You know, you take one bar. And you practice it with, you know, because I'm looking for articulation and I want to play clean, mm-hmm. you know. And one of the reasons why that started, one of the reasons why that started is because when I got into high school, uh, you know, I went to high school music and art. You know, Steve Jordan, Steve Jordan, we were there at the same time. Oh, really? Yeah, he he's a little, you know, he's a little, he's a few years older than me, mm-hmm. but 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 we went to school at the same time. I mean, at that at that period, that is a hell of a period, man. Baylor Fleck of the Baylor. Oh the yeah. Top. He he, we were in school together. Uh, Marcus Miller, the great bassist. We were all in school together. Omar Hakeem. It's amazing. We were all there, and we were all there in the school practice together, and 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 so what happened was um, there's this great teacher, man. I mean, he's still around. He teaches at Manhattan School of Music. Uh, Justin DiCiocio, you familiar with him? I don't know him personally, but I know the name. Yeah, yeah. He helped. I mean, he helped. He taught a lot of us, man. I mean, and he had this percussion ensemble, and so. In school, there were all these advanced guys, man. And uh, Mark Sherman, who plays vibraphone, uh, percussionist Danny Druckmann, who's in the New York Philharmonic. <laughs> you know, I mean, true badasses. I mean, these guys were badasses then. Right. And so they're playing classical music and playing all that kind of stuff. But I wanted to play bebop. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, I was in the match, Philly Joe, Art Blakey. Shadow Wilson and all these people. So there was a guy by the name of uh, Ray Chu. You know, I think he's he had the he was the, uh, the the musical director of the Apollo show that was on TV. Well, we were in school also. Mm-hmm. He his, his name sounds familiar. I think he's been brought up on the podcast before. Yeah, well, he man, I mean, I mean, this guy was bad in high school. He left school to become musical director. For Ashford and Simpson, you know the the the, the yeah. vocal, the, the, the pose ain't no mountain high yeah, enough. Yeah, yeah, of course. Those, you know, well they he became he left school to be, be be become the musical director for Ashford and Simpson. Now he played piano, he played decent mallets, man. He played decent drums, and he was in that percussion ensemble. So there was a percussion ensemble, and Justin DiCiocio conducted this. This, this percussion ensemble. So when he left, when Ray Chu left, they needed an extra percussionist for some of those percussion ensemble pieces. So then Justin said, look, man, I want you to come up after school to play some of these pieces because uh, we need an extra percussionist. So I said, okay. So I came upstairs, right? And so, of course, there's, you know, all these badasses, Danny Druckmann, all these people, these guys read and play anything. 
So I remember the first thing on the bandstand was this piece by Edgar Varese called Ionization. And it is like a percussion ensemble piece. And I remember the beginning, it was, it was one of the pieces, if it wasn't uh, ionization, it was one of the pieces, like it had a bar four, four time. And I think I had a bar five, four time and a bar three, 16 time. I'd never seen that, man. And when I opened up that, the music, and saw that, my eyes said, I said, I can't play this. I put the sticks back in the bag and was going for the door, you know, because they were warming up, you know, right. and they were doing something else, you know, he's talking to somebody. <laughs> You're like, I must, I think I'm in the wrong room. I got, I got over here. Yes, man, I can't play this. I didn't even say anything to, to Justin, who was the teacher conducting the, I just was splitting. And just as I was getting ready to go out the door, he came to the door. He said, hey, man, where you going? I said, look, man, I can't play this. Sure, you can play this, man. If you couldn't play this, I wouldn't have you here. I said, look. I said, man, I can't play it. Forget it. He says, man, I don't worry about it, man. I'm going to teach you this. I said, look, it'll take me a year to learn one bar. Forget it. I'm out of here. Bye. <laughs> he says, he said, man, listen, get back over there. You can play this and you will play this. He said, man, don't worry about anything. I never forget this. He said something that was that, 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 that I'll never forget. He says, Man, don't worry about it, man. I'm going to teach. I'll show you all this. He says, man, just remember, man, that the quarter note always remains constant. I never will forget that, man, you know. And he's so right. So so then I, I went back in and, I, and you know, and he helped me with a lot of that stuff. Um, and so then I got to, you know, hanging around with Danny Druckmann and watching these guys practice, Um uh, and I started getting these books and it was Justin because he was in my home. He was the, he was the homeroom teacher. Right. And I walked in, he walked in the class one day in the morning. He says, Hey man, you have this book. And it was a copy of a modern rudimental swing solos. I said, no, he says, well, you should here. Plop, plop that book on the table. And that's when it started, you know? And so all these guys, these guys, man, Danny Druckmann, all these guys, man, they were incredible musicians, incredible percussionists, you know. But see, I couldn't play that stuff that fast. Mm -hmm. These guys were incredible readers, man. I mean, they put anything in front of them, man. You swing some paint on, on a staff and they play that, <laughs> you know. But I couldn't do that, man. So I had to learn. So then all these pieces and things that they were doing and they were doing Wilcoxon's book too. Mm -hmm. And they run right through that stuff, man. See, so I couldn't do that. So I said, man, I got to learn how to do this. So I'm going to do it slow. And I realized, you know, like, so I would take one bar. You learn one bar with the proper articulation, accents up here and unaccented those down here. You learn that. Then you go to the next bar. You learn that. Then you put that one bar and the two bar, you put it together. Right, right. You run through that. Nice and slow. Nice and slow. Check your hands out the whole bit. Then when you get that, you go to the next bar. You learn that. And then you connect bar two with bar three. And then 
I also got to thinking, I, you know, the bars that the bars that kick your ass. I had I had this manuscript I called it Kenny's Kick Ass Exercises, <laughs> stuff that was just hard, man. I would write it down. You still and, have those? Sure, man. I still work on those things. You man, know. I'd love to see those. I mean, I mean, like, like from the first page, man, like um, the first page of 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 uh, of, of uh, Wilcoxon's book, Rowing in Rhythm. You know, da 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 you know that's that's daily warm-up exercises man you know mm-hmm. then you then you do them left lead so i started thinking outside of the box said well man can you play it starting with your left hand I said no i start working on that and see so once you do that you know all this stuff helps your technique mm-hmm. you know i mean it it, it helps you it, it helps your technique it helps I realized it helped my sound, and and what what ended up happening was well, if you concentrate on it enough, well, and if you do every bar, and sometimes not even that, you could do beat by beat in between these things, you know, to get them all together. And then what happens is once you finish doing it, yeah, it's going to take you more time to learn that piece, but then you after doing all that, you should be able to play that ninety that piece ninety five percent from memory, right? Because you've investigated every part of it, and see that this this is the kind of stuff that helps your control. It helps your two hand independence. Mm-hmm. I so, mean, a lot of that stuff with Wilcox, and that's how we like bar by bar, man. It was like, all right, let's go back and 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 then it got to the point where sometimes it was like, all right, let's just play this fi- this one figure inside of this bar. That's right. That's right. 50 times. And That's then right. play the second the second half of that bar and then we got to try to put those two together, you know. Yeah, and you and, you and it realize, takes a long time, but and, 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 but then you also realize you might be able to play both of those figures. Oftentimes this happens. I tell my students this all the time. You might be able to play one bar and then you can play the next bar separately. You can play them. But there's something between beat two of the previous bar and the downbeat of that second bar that kicks your butt every time. Mm-hmm. Well, a lot of the stuff with that book specifically, like some of the stickings that feel like they should go one way, go a different way. You're like, oh, it should start. I, I should start this, you know, the third, the third beat of this with my right. So you would do it every time. And it's like, nope, it starts with the left, yeah. you know. Sure. And that'll and throw everything off. That throws the rest sure. of the piece off. Sure. And then, see, so, but then what happens is you're helping your chops, man. I mean, you're helping yourself control-wise, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and this is going to help you on the drum set. It's going to help you to have an even sound between left hand and right hand. You get, you, you're getting your independence together between the two hands. Man, I mean, that's very important, you know, uh, so, you know, books like, you know, books like that one and, you know, the Pratt books, Dominic Cuchilla's book, uh, the beat, I think it's called to, to the Beat of a Different Drummer. I'm not familiar. I with mean, that. that's like, that's like Wilcoxon on crack, man. <laughs> you know, I mean, because now you see, 
you know, Wilcoxon's book has been around since, the, I guess, since the 40s mm-hmm. or the late mm-hmm. 40s. See, so now what Dominic Cuchilla has done, of course, he knows about Wilcoxon's book, but, you know, he's taken it a step further. So he's got crazier stuff, you know, than what's in the Wilcoxon book. Yeah. I don't, you know, know if I, can see, ha- so, I don't know if I can handle anything more than Wilcoxon's right now. Well, I know, I know, man. I mean, but, 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 you know, but, but his book, his book is, is, is worth, uh, is worth checking out also, man. I, will. I mean, see, so I will. all this stuff, man, all this stuff helps, you know, helps you to become a better drummer. And I, and I feel that in most of these colleges, they're not doing that, man. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to play it. They didn't want to play an 11, 1300 trillion billion time when you got to, Take out your, you know, you know, abacus and figure it all out. You know, can't play a paradiddle, <laughs> and it can't play a paradiddle. I'm telling you, man, it happens. I see it all the time. I believe you. I believe you. I see it all the time, man. They want to, you know, they had these big pipe dreams. Oh, Professor Washington, I want to play brushes. I, I, I heard you on such and such a record. I want you. I'm going to play brushes, and, and I said, okay, play me a five stroke roll, and they can't play. Uh uh-uh. uh. Since when you learn that. That's when then we'll learn this. Right. But see, most guys, I mean, you know, they might be aware, but I uh, of the students um, not having these basics together. But they'll just give the student what he wants. Mm-hmm. See, I mm-hmm. never believed in teaching like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. I mean, I said, no, man, you're going to do this first, and then we'll get to that. Then we'll figure that out, right? Yeah, right. I mean, baby steps. Yeah, because because you won't be able to play anything unless you have this stuff together. That is the biggest problem, man, with with drummers nowadays. That is the biggest problem. I see it in all the schools. I see it all over the world, man. You know, there's less there's less basics being taught. You know, that is the biggest problem, man. Well, I, I remember taking lessons from from a guy named Glenn Farrakhan, uh, and he's a great player, great teacher. And he was telling me, you know, when he was coming up, he was like, it was like two years before he was even allowed to play the drums. That's right. You he was like, he handed me a pad and was like, that's right. That's figure right. that out, you know? That's and I, I think, right. I think the problem is now is that we talked about attention spans and not to rehash what we already talked about, but maybe it is the attention span thing. I mean, and I'll be the first one to admit it. It's boring as hell for me to sit in front of a pad for a half hour. I just, that's the truth. I'm just being honest. It's boring for me, but I do it because I know what the results are going to be. Well, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. If I was nine, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, well, that makes sense. You know, that makes sense. But, you know, it's somebody telling you, man, this is what you got to do, man. I mean, I had. I had I had very I, I had a few very good drum teachers, man. I mean that you know. See, but see, for me, man, when I was coming up, I knew all the rudiments, but I didn't know the names of the rudiments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew all the rudiments from listening to Philly Joe Jones and all these guys. I wanted to play like those guys, and see, so I figured all that stuff out, and it just so happened that more often than not, it was right. I didn't. You know, I didn't know what a five-stroke roll was. And I remember my teacher saying, well, play a five-stroke roll. I didn't know what the hell he was talking about. Right. And he demonstrated right. the five-stroke roll. I said, oh, yeah, man, blah, 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 blah. I knew what a five-stroke roll was from listening to Kenny Clark and all these badasses play. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, so, so I've heard I that before. 
Yeah, right. That's right. exactly what I had to put the names with the different rudiments. Mm-hmm. And really, you know, it's like, but, I mean, but, the rudiments are just combinations of singles and doubles. You know, when the boil. Well, yeah, that's what. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, Max Roach, the great drummer, said that he felt that he said something that was very interesting. Uh, he says, he, he said, the, the double stroke roll is the most important, is the most important rule of the, the most important rudiment or the most important thing of all. And, and, you know, after I thought about it, I said, damn, you know, he's right. Because, you know, a, a, a five stroke roll is nothing but, but, but two, two double stroke rolls, you know, single, right, 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 left, left, and a single. See, so with the double, you have to learn your doubles to play that same thing with seven stroke and going on and on and on. I mean, there are some drummers, there are some guys that, 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 that did a lot with, with doubles. Mm-hmm. See, so I'm thinking about it, he's sort of kind of right. He's right about that, yeah. you know. There's, you know, when I was younger, I always struggled with how to learn the rudiments, right? Because to me, it always just sounded like if I was playing a paradiddle, it was just like, tack, 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 tack. It just sound, it just didn't sound interesting to me. It didn't sound like music to me. And so I started to like just trick myself and I would play, I would play along with a tune, but play, I could only play paradiddles or, right. you know, stuff like that. Uh, what's your, and not to get too deep into, into the practice thing again, but what's your advice just for people who, who want to learn the root or like, cause I know that there's guys out there that are 25, 30 years old who have been playing for 15 years, 20 years that don't know the rudiments. So how would you suggest that, that somebody practices them just like work on one a day or work on three a day? Or how would you, t- how would you approach it? Well, I would say take, I don't know. I would say take two, two rudiments say maybe a month and and say, okay, I'm going to learn my fives and I'm going to learn my sevens. And then you just work on those slow and be honest. The most important thing you can do for yourself in practicing is to be honest with yourself. You know, but then again, before I even get to that point, see, you got to know what these things sound like. See, that's why, Listening to the great jazz drummers, you know, especially the swing era guys, Gene Krupa, Buddy Rich, Shadow Wilson, Papa Joe Jones, you know, uh, uh, when you hear those guys play solos, especially somebody like Buddy Rich or Louis Belson or any of these kinds of guys, they always play clean. Their stuff is always even. Mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. And, and, you know, Big Sid Catlett was another one like that. And so, so you listen to these. Well, I listened to them, and I wanted to play like that. I wanted to play like Philly Joe Jones, and I wanted to play like Arthur Taylor, you know, or, or any of those Lex Humphreys, all these people. I wanted to play like that. And one thing that all those guys had in common, one thing that they all had in common was the articulation, and they were all clean. They all, There was no sloppiness. Man, these guys played clean all the time, especially them early drummers, the baby dies and people like that. Yeah. So I had in my mind as to how these doubles and singles and fives and sevens, how they're supposed to sound. See, so you got to get the sound in your head. So one of the things that I would I would recommend 
for guys uh, so that you can get the sound. Well, listen to those drummers that I just mentioned. Also, um, there's a there's a, a CD. I don't know if I have it down here. I had it down. I had it on here somewhere. Um, I would, oh, the engine room. There's a CD called the engine room, and it's like a compilation of like all the early drummers, and you can hear some of these guys in featured spots, and it's a very good CD to have. But then, like I said, man, you put on any record of Buddy Rich, I mean, you know, you can still find, I don't know, like Buddy Rich's big band records, like where he's playing West Side Story. You listen to one, or besides, never mind that, you go on YouTube, man, and watch him. And this guy played perfect drums, you know, um, so that you get an, I mean, see, so you, you start to get a standard of what it's supposed to be like when you hear somebody playing a single stroke role or a double stroke role. Or another thing is to um, get this, there's a CD that came out of this guy by the name of Frank Arsenault. And Frank Arsenault was like a rudimental champion, I guess from like the 50s and 60s. And, and and one day I was hanging out. Oh, I saw Billy Drummond, man, great drummer. You hit the Billy Drummond? Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah, he play his ass off. Anyway, um, we were talking. He says, "Hey, watch." I said, "Yeah, man." He says, uh, "You remember the record, the, the rudimental record of Frank Arsenal?" I said, "Yeah." What about it? I hadn't thought about that record over thirty years. He says, "Man, it came out on CD." I said, "Really?" He said, "Man, I got a copy of it, man." And I said, "Really?" So you know, I got one from uh, from from I guess from Steve Weiss Music, you know, mm-hmm. man. And I hadn't heard that. See, so he demonstrates all the rudiments. Man, I mean, that'll make you slit your wrist. What's the name of the CD? Huh? What's the name of the CD? Um, if you, uh, it's this Frank Arsenal rudiments, uh, tw- the twenty six rudiments, Frank Arsenal. You can get it through Steve Weiss Music.com. It was it was an LP, you know, years ago, and I didn't have my own copy, man. I knew somebody that had that record, or maybe the drum teacher I had, he lent the record to me, and and I wasn't able to get my own copy. This is when I was a kid. I hadn't thought about that in over 30, 40 years, man. I mean, but but it's out on it's out on CD, it, you know. And the thing about it is, if you listen to that. The reason I'm saying that is if you listen to that CD, if you listen to that CD and you listen to how this guy plays the 26 rudiments and he goes from slow to fast and then back down slow again, everything is even. Right. Yeah, I just right. found it on here. I just I just looked it up here. Man, I'm telling you, everything is even. There's not one stroke that's uneven. And that's what you want to go for. Sure. When practicing, man, I mean, that's what you want to go for. It's going to take you a long time. But if you start slow, you got to have the sound in your dome. (laughs) In the dome piece, you got to have the sound up here. And if you have that sound and you, as that, is an even single stroke or five stroke roll like Frank Arsenal or Buddy Ritz or Big Sid Catlett or Philly Joe Jones, 
that carries on. And you're going to want to do what you've heard, which, what's up in the dome. Right. And that's how you get it, man, you know. So, you know, it, it, you know, so you take each one of these rudiments, and that's what I mean about being honest. You know, if it's if it's you know if it's sloppy, slow it down. But you have to be honest with yourself and say that's not good enough, man. Right. Slow it down. Yeah. Good and good down. enough is not good enough. Good enough is not good enough. That's how you do it. You tape yourself mm-hmm. and listen back, back. You know, and 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 compare it. I mean, you know, you have. You know, your yardstick guys. I mean, you know, you have the guys that you're trying to get to their level, like the Frank Arsenaults and the big Sid Catnets and people like that, you know. Mm-hmm. That's real practicing, man. So yeah. the, and the other record that you talked about, is it The Engine Room, uh, A History of Jazz Drumming from Storyville to 52nd Street? That's the one. That's yeah. the one? Okay. Because I'll include that. I make... I make show notes for uh, for every podcast, so I'll make sure that I include this, the Fred Arsalt stuff, uh, actually everything that we talked about. But I want to make sure that I got those as well. Yeah, well, that's a good that's a good CD, man. I mean that that's in the liner notes. That's on a label called Proper Box, which I think that's from England. And whoever put that together, it's a compilation of all the early swing drummers or the drummers from New Orleans. Whoever put that together really knew what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a very, very good introduction. That's a very good introduction for young players to hear these, these, uh, uh early, uh, jazz percussion masters, you know, and you save a lot of money like that too, because, you know, when I was coming up, it took a long time for engineers to really understand how to record drums. You know, right. it, it wasn't like, like it is. Right. It, it wasn't always. It hasn't always been like it is now. Because back in the twenties and even into the thirties, I mean, they had to put covers and everything over the drums. They had to set the drums away from everything else because once the drummer took one, if he hit the snare drum just too loud, that VU meter would go straight through the VU window meter. I mean, the meter window. Right. It would just distort everything. See, so it's amazing that these drummers had the control to be able to still play well. I mean, but they really had to take it down a notch. Mm -hmm. See, so consequently, a lot of times, uh, drum solos... They weren't always featured, you know, on, on records. And see, so all these early people like Sonny Greer and Big Sid Catlett and Shadow Wilson and Ray Baduke, all these people, you know, you might hear their names, you know. Uh, and sometimes guys get frustrated because they go out and find some records with these guys on them, but you can't really hear them, you know, yeah. because of the audio limitations of the time where they just weren't featured that much at least on records but that box set it shows uh you'll be able to hear some of their features and not spend a whole lot of money doing it you know because i spent thousands and thousands of dollars finding records that have you know shadow wilson you know playing a few a few a few bars of the drum solo because i want to hear him Right. But this this box set, the engine room, enables you to uh, 
you know, to be able to hear them at a fraction of the cost. Man. I'm going to uh, I'm going to buy it. Yeah, there's oh, I mean, there's okay. some there, there was another label called Media 7, I think it was. And they also had like a, a history uh, a, 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 there were single CDs that had the history and features of drums, but those have gone out of print and they're very expensive, but they're very good. But I would say for guys to start with the engine room first, you know, nice. uh, they, they, you know, I'm in, for those, I'm going to get it. I, if you, do you have a turntable? Uh, I don't, uh, I have one that's, it's not working though. Oh man, you gotta get it fixed. Another thing, look on eBay. And there's a record called The Soul of Jazz Percussion. And it was a Riverside. Riverside was a jazz label. Oren Keep News owned the label. Oren Keep News was, he produced uh, Thelonious Monk recordings, West Montgomery records, Jimmy Heath. But he owned Riverside Records. But it was somebody's idea. They came up with... Uh, this record called The Soul of Jazz Percussion, and it had excerpts of 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 probably was the twelve the twelve greatest modern jazz drummers at the time, because all these guys at one time or another had recorded for the Riverside label. I mean, Philly Joe, Kenny Clark, Billy Higgins, Charlie Percep, Lou Hayes, uh, Jimmy Cobb. Wow. Um, there are a few of the only one that wasn't on it, interestingly enough, was Roy Haynes. Elvin Jones was, you know, Elvin. And what they did was like they faded into the drum solo, you know, and then they nice. would fade out, you know. And it was very interesting when that record, you know, was was made a big impression on me when I was coming up. My uncle had somehow or another. Uh, found a copy of that record. And when my father went down to Washington, D.C. to see my uncle, you know, he, he told my father, he said, hey, give this, you know, I got something for him. Bring this up. This. My father brought it back and gave it to me. That record knocked me out, man, because it was drum souls, but hip, hip stuff, man, you know. Nice. So it never came out on CD. Yeah. Yeah, I and just looked it up. It's, a, it's, all, it's all LP. And it's just an excerpt. It's it's excerpts of, of you know all these different drummers, right? You know, nice. I mean, but man, it's <laughs> man, it's very good. And and from that record, I got a chance to to hear you know all these drummers. And the interesting thing about another interesting thing about that record is that each one of those drummers had their own sound from track to track, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's basically just drum solos. And of course. For me, it took me years to find. It was interesting to hear those drum solos and not hear the rest of the record, like for the rest of the tune. Like for example, they had Max Roach and a record that he made with Sonny Rollins called Freedom Suite. So the, they had his drum solo from the first from the first movement of Sonny Rollins' Freedom Suite. You know, that is a Freedom Now suite that's different. I'm talking right. about Sonny Rollins' Freedom Suite, which is on Riverside. And so on that record, this this drum record I'm talking about, it fades into, you know, to the to, to the exchanges, you know. And I learned that solo by heart. But it was years before I could find a copy of the whole thing, the right. whole tune. 
So I never, so I never heard the Sonny Rollins solo or the Oscar Pettiford solo. It was very interesting. See, so you know, when I got older and was able to find a copy of that record, I think I found a copy of that record in a library or something. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to hear the rest of it. Sure. You know, hear it in context. Hear it in context, and it was amazing how you know Max Roach, as musical as he was, how he was. You could hear the music and see why he played like he played mm-hmm. from the mm-hmm. rest of the tune. It's very interesting, man. You know, yeah. But 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 anybody that has a turntable, I would, you know, whoever came up with that idea, and I never got a chance to ask Aaron Keaton whose idea that was. But man, I mean, that record really really helped me out. Well, I want it. Soul, now. Yeah, the soul of jazz percussion. I got it in here. I'm going to put it in the show notes too. I'm going to go on a shop. When we get off the phone here, I'm going to, I'm going to do a shop. I'm going to go on a shopping spree and buy a bunch of stuff. So, <laughs> uh, before I let you go though, I want to know, uh, if people want to get in touch with you or do you teach privately? If so, yes, what's the best way to get in touch with you? And you know, if they want to follow what you're doing and learn more about you and all that stuff, where can they go? Well, I mean, I, I mean, if they want to, if they want to study with me, they can. I guess I give them my email address. Like, is that cool? Is that yeah? The, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, KW Jazz Maniac Two, the number two at hotmail dot com. So that's K W J A Z Z M a N I A C the number two at hotmail.com. Perfect. Another thing, another thing that I'm you know I'm in the process of doing is um is I'm going to uh I'm going to come out with a uh, a brush video. Nice. A how-to brush video. You know, I mean, there are other ones that are out, but but um, there are other ones that are out and they're great. But I feel that uh, I feel that, in my opinion, they miss something that's important that would make everybody that plays the brushes understand it much better. You know, there's, there's, and I'm not going to tell what it is. I was going to ask and I figured you wouldn't. (laughs) I'm not going to say what it is, but, but, but um, there's one thing that all the brush videos have missed. That's probably the most important thing. And, you know, it's, 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 it's not mentioned. And once they get that, that one little thing, then they'll see how to, you know, see how to, how to put it together. So when are you thinking that'll come out? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, let's just say soon. I like it. When, when I tell you what, when, when it does come out, you know, of course, you know, I'll let you know. That would be great. Yeah. Cause we can even come back on and talk about it and we can sort of go through some of the stuff that's in the book and that would be yeah. That'd be amazing. Yeah, it, 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 it'll be a video. It won't be a book. It'll be a video because, unfortunately, now nobody buys books. Valid point. You know, they. I mean, I mean, they want it. They want it quick. They want it now. Right. So, like, I'm trying to. I mean, 
I've been thinking about this, some stuff. I mean, it, you know, it, it should be, it should be very interesting. It should be very interesting for me to, uh, you know, to do something like this. You know, I have some, I have some ideas. I have some ideas that I think technically, you know, uh, technically haven't, no one has really thought to do that, uh, you know, but there's certain things, there's certain mechanics in the playing the brushes that it just seems like, you know, it's not just a circle. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's taught, it's not just a circle. It's a little bit more than a circle, which that's just the surface of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Well, when you're ready to talk more about it, man, let me know and we will uh we'll connect on it definitely. Definitely will. I definitely will. Good. I definitely will. Yeah. And for anyone out there who wants to study with Kenny, email him and all the information that we talked about, all the links to all these great album recommendations and his email address and all that stuff will be in the show notes uh, right on drummersresource.com. And Kenny, I want to thank you personally for being a part of the podcast, for spending your afternoon with me chatting, for all the knowledge that you just shared and want to let you know that you are you are more than welcome anytime you'd like to come back on. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I've had a I've had a ball, man. Good, good. I certainly hope that uh, you know I was able, you know, to you know help somebody, you know, to listen to this music, man. You know, and, and you know, one thing tell all the drummers, the guys that out here listening that that are listening to this podcast, slow down, slow down, slow. That's that's the. Uh... If you can't play. You won't play fast unless you play slow. Yep. Slow down. Take your time. Man. Practice Just slow and learn fast. Practice slow. Practice slow. Just take your time. Be cool. Let it sink in the dome piece. <laughs> Kenny Washington, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, man. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, and I'll be talking to you soon. Okay, man. All right. See ya. So there you have it, Kenny Washington. And for all the notes and everything that we talk about, you can go to drummersresource.com forward slash session 204 and all the links for the records that he recommends and all that stuff is all available there. While you're there, you can sign up for the mailing list, get a copy of my ebook, Stick Control Variations, 11 Creative Exercises that'll help you improve your chops, your independence, your speed, all that fun stuff. Hey, listen. If you have a second, share this with your friends. Let people know about the podcast. And there's a lot of stuff on here that I think is helpful for musicians as well, not just drummers, uh, but also guitar players, bass players, things like that. So if you would, share it up. That's all I ask. Leave a rating and review on iTunes, things like that. Just help spread the word about Drummer's Resource. I would really appreciate it. And until the next podcast, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're listening to this on Monday, there's actually two more podcasts that are coming out this week. There'll be one on Wednesday, one on Friday as well. So be well. Keep drumming. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.